Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third installment of The Sign of the Dollar. This podcast is co-hosted by Kunal Satpute, who is with me right now. Hello, Kunal. Hello, Anish. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and I hope we'll have a good podcast, especially considering our topics today, which will be socialism in America, the future of the DNC, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But Anish, do you want to start us off with what you think about socialism? Right, sure. So as a a few of you may know, I'm currently writing a book. Uh, This book breaks down different uh, characteristics. It breaks down how we obtain knowledge. The basic idea of this book is to explore ethics and moral philosophy. So in this book, I address socialism. I address uh, altruism versus selfishness, and I address capitalism versus uh, socialism. See, the problem with today's argument against socialism is that people only point out that it's not effective. This is true. It isn't. It has been tried in the past, and it hasn't proven to be effective. But when people make this argument, Democrats just fire back saying, oh, but it hasn't been tried properly yet, or something like that. I mean, it's quite a ridiculous argument, but it works. It works amongst millennials. So we need to change the approach we take when we're talking about socialism. And this is where morals and ethics come in. Because socialism isn't only ineffective. It has a lot of moral implications, which make it quite an immoral system of government. And this is something that I address in my book, and I would like to briefly touch upon uh, in this podcast. So the main idea of capitalism and the main idea of individualism, which I strongly believe in, and I'm sure Kunal also strongly believes in, is self-ownership and the right to your mind. This means that you have the right to yourself. You have the right to your mind, meaning you can think what you want to, and you can do what you want to so long as it isn't harming other people uh, directly. And the products that you produce using your mind belong to you and to you only. Uh, And if these products are to be given away, they are to be given away with your consent and to be given away with to who you deem worthy of it in a sort of trade, even if this trade is immaterial, even if that person that uh, you give it to is giving you back an immaterial value, it should still be given away in a trade. And this is the idea of capitalism with mutually beneficial relations, mutually beneficial transactions. Socialism, on the other hand, it requires that person to be deprived of their rights, deprived of what they have produced. And this is given away to people who are either completely, genuinely unable to produce it or are simply too lazy and have not worked for it. And because of this, it shows you how socialism can actually punish virtue and reward depravity. Even if it's not always rewarding depravity, it is almost always punishing virtue, punishing men's ability which is quite ridiculous because capitalism is based on merit. The harder you work, uh, the the better your ability, the better your ability to uh, beat your competitors in the market, which causes development, is what really defines capitalism, which helps us evolve, which helps us develop. But socialism doesn't have this. There's only one central body, which is not competing with anyone. And it is done in a way that People don't have the right to pursue their path, pursue what they think they're best at. They are forced by the government, and if they do produce, they're deprived of what they have produced, and they, it no longer belongs to them. And that's my main problem with socialism, because there are no mutually beneficial transactions. It is always a zero-sum game. And a lot of the time, like I said, it can reward depravity and punish virtue. And after all of this, you would expect at least the people who are receiving these products from the government to benefit. 
But actually, there's the other problem. Because these people who the, the government gives the money to, gives money to, people who either have lack of value, uh, were unlucky, or were unable to earn their own livelihood. Uh, when the government, when the welfare state provides them with their livelihood, what this does is it keeps them poor. It destroys their chance of ever getting out of that poverty trap because it keeps them down by making them entirely dependent on, on the government. And it also rewards them for lack of value instead of rewarding them for hard work uh, because the government, sure, they can help people with merit to go forward. Uh, that's why I do believe that there should be some level of government. But the problem with socialism is that it's nothing like that. They, they're um, made entirely dependent on the government. So the society in general can't function. And the producers themselves... The producers, they, they eventually, even though they're punished and they're attacked by the government, they continue to produce just because of how they are. But once they realize that they're being treated as slaves of the government, they will start abandoning their jobs too, realizing that they get as much as they do by not working at all as they do for working. And then once producers abandon their positions, there's literally no one to produce anymore. The government can't do it to the extent that individuals can. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I'd like to bring it back to Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged. And I think the way she describes the movement of society from a free market capitalist society to society with socialism, I think it's a really good way of describing it because what essentially happens in the book is as a product, as a company's product becomes superior to another, what happens is its competitors preach socialism or actually social reforms. And they actually preach that a person's individual interest uh, does not supersede a society's uh, or government's interest. So I think the fact that how she talks about a, how a country or, a, or an area actually transitions from one system to another is really interesting. And I find the way uh, how she highlights the fact that and in the impact of a transitioning government on a country is really is really important because you think about it the way a con- if a country transitions people lose their ability or they lose their they lose their interest to develop new right. products and actually create new solutions to problems and as we can see in the book this happens as well yet we can leave the side apart that the main character still power through this and continue uh, building on their product. But I think the fact that if you actually introduce a government that values uh, the government's interests over as individuals, I think you're just killing people's ability and need and or or want to develop themselves and develop right. their product. And this actually affects the people because this reduces the choice the people have in their daily lives. Because if we had a socialist economy, who say we wouldn't have computers to the extent we have today? I mean, we wouldn't have computers well, you wouldn't have computers right. as developed as they are today because no one actually has the need to develop their product because they, their their wealth would be reassigned. But I think the way uh, Ayn Rand describes the movement of a country is really important. And I think we can right. even see that happening in America. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you see, the funny thing is uh, Ocasio-Cortez, how she portrays herself to be is, is like this uh, innocent girl from the Bronx Who's, who has genuine interest uh, of the people in at, at heart. So when you look at her, she is somewhat, sure. what you call it, appealing until you understand her economic policies. And similarly, uh, the leaders in Atlas Shrugged, like Mr. Thompson, 
they were like this. They acted to be the individual or the person, the collective, the society's friend when they really weren't. They were putting on this persona to make them look nice while they were actually taking away products from people who are being productive. And that, that, that I think is similar to the way that uh, Ocasio-Cortez portrays herself, except the difference is that I think they were actually to some extent smart because they used their cunning to do what they were doing effectively. But Ocasio-Cortez yeah. seems quite ignorant I'm on sure. emo- uh, economic policies. So, yeah, I think that's really important because if you look at how, despite being a fan, despite it being a fiction, a piece of fiction, I think the way that the uh, the characters in Atlas Shrug actually help the transitioning of the country is really important. If you look at it, they actually, they actually produce po- policies which seem in the interest of the people by actually making sure that small businesses get, small businesses get the reach right. of the transport lines. But I think the fact is, the problem with that is, in the long term, what happens is if, if a company or a transport company is made to issue uh, a number of trains to all countries over the district, not only the financial district, in the same amount, what happens is that company can't afford to actually produce that much, produce that many trains, and due to this, they eventually right. in the long term will shut down. And because of this, you have national breakdown because your sole, uh, your sole logistic supplier shuts down. So what do you do? Goods don't move anymore. And I think that Ocasio Cortez's supporters are really short sighted in that in that sense because they don't see what will happen in the future. And we, I think we like, I think if we talk about her Medicare plan and how she decide, how she how she wants to preach free Medicare like they do in the Scandinavian countries. And I think even that comparison is really flawed. But what I like to say is that near today's uh, today's valuations for how much Medicare will cost Americans was about $32 trillion. And uh, Ocasio-Cortez contested that it will cost $29 trillion. Not, 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 not much less. So that's a lot more expensive than Trump's wall, huh? Yeah. And I don't really, I don't really think she understands the gravity of the situation because she's coming from a group of people who don't really want to pay for anything themselves. I mean, they want people to pay for their surgeries. They want people to pay for their food stamps. And I think the fact that she doesn't understand the struggle by which people go to earn their money and the fact that they're taking away $32 trillion, which is more than how many, how much America earns and put them into further debt, despite Trump actually pulling them out of debt. I think this is really important. I think this is really funny, but uh, I like. Can, can you can you go on to tell us how how they compare Medicare to Scandinavian countries? But it's not always the same. Right. Yeah. I uh, just picking up on what you said before. I understand that you're not uh, completely done with Atlas Shrugged, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. You, you you'll see what happens later because you say uh, something. You said something about Dagny, but <laughs> your mind will change once you see what happens. It it gets amazing towards the end. Trust me, you're gonna love it. But I think I think it's a great read for anyone listening. Oh, so for sure, hundred percent. should take it up, especially in today's uh, climate, in today's uh, wave of socialism. Hundred percent. And so I I mean the thing is it's it's a controversial book, and because it's known for the notion that selfishness is a virtue, people go into it with like a closed mind, thinking yeah. what is she saying, and then they don't understand her ideology. When you think about it, she actually makes a lot of sense. And that's something I talk about actually in a recent podcast I did with Publitarian, but we'll touch upon that later as well, sure. uh, like in this podcast as well. Uh, and that's basically the philosophy of individualism versus collectivism. 
But um, that aside, we'll get to that later. Uh, right, as you said about Scandinavian countries, here's the problem with that argument. You remember in Bernie Sanders' campaign uh, in 2016, he said that Denmark was like the epitome of socialism and its success. You remember that, right? Yeah. What you probably didn't see because the media didn't report on it was that the Danish uh, leaders re- responded and said, we do not approve of what uh, mm, Bernie yeah, Sanders yeah, yeah. is saying. <laughs> Denmark is not socialist. But uh, here's the thing. To an extent, Scandinavia is socialist. But it's important to understand how their market works. Because first of all, for example, in Sweden, most of their wealth was created during their free market years, which sure. were a few decades ago. And currently what they do to maintain their growth is that they lower corporate taxes because they understand that corporations need to keep money in order to keep developing and compete. And then they increase uh, consumption Consumption. taxes. While this is still uh, somewhat socialist because there's higher taxation in general, um, there is still a way to keep the market going. But if you'd notice right now, there isn't much growth in the market. And uh, a lot of Sweden's uh, and a lot of Scandinavia's Medicare products, the reason that they are advanced is because they come from countries like the USA and other countries which have competition within the, their healthcare system. Yeah, sure. So I think I'd like to I'd like to talk about a point that Ben Shapiro or Stephen Crowder brought up. I'm not exactly sure, but this was when I was watching or listening to one of their videos. Uh, I think they brought up a, a three they, they they talked about three points. So you can either have quality, you can have every you can have everyone getting it. Or you can have costs. So I think if you want to run a medicine, med- a Medicare or a medical program across your country, you can have either of the two, three things. So you can either right. have two of the three things. You can either have quality, but make sure it's expensive, or you can have co- you can have lower quality, but make sure everyone's getting it. So getting three things, getting all three things is nearly impossible. And I would say actually impossible. Today's socialists keep on preaching that all three of these are possible. But again, we look at the cost of even just trying them, which is $32 trillion. Yeah, that's ridiculous. We're, we're trying to cut government spending. I mean, the U.S. is, what, $3 trillion in debt or something? Yeah. Even more now. Yeah, I think it's been cut down for about $4 $5 million uh, by Trump, despite Trump actually promoting uh, the GDP growth. Yeah, and I've... yeah, yeah, because because uh, I remember uh, the, um, the Democrats were saying that um, the tax cuts would would cause like a big problem because of government spending sure. and government revenue. But uh, Trump responded by saying that the the GDP growth would make up for it within the next 10 years. And it's already done a yeah. lot, a big percent making up for it in just one year. Yeah. And I think, I think I'll, I'll just digress a little, but I think the fact that if Trump was reported fairly, I think, I think the 2020 election would have been in the bag right now already. I I think, you know, if somebody like Ocasio-Cortez runs, even though Bernie did have a lot of support, but if somebody like Ocasio-Cortez runs for president, that's good for the Republican Party because there's so many moderates in America which won't yeah. vote for such a, an extreme socialist candidate. And mm. uh, the, the Republican candidate, even though uh, Trump is a grass, does have a grassroots movement and he is anti-establishment, mm. moderates would start moving towards Trump because of this socialist ide- ideology, which they understand is bad. Yeah, but the thing is, right, I, like you said earlier, Ocasio-Cortez is brilliant at how she portrays herself. She really portrays herself as a friend of the people and that right. she has the people's interests in mind. Where in, fact right. she, where, in fact, her policies really don't because in the future, we're having people who are lazier, less with less drive, and the less act, 
and less ability to do things. Okay, less so ability, incentive, right? Ability is not really the same as laziness because laziness is not doing something despite having the ability. But I think the fact that socialism actually makes people have less ability, and this actually increases the effect of laziness is more. But I, th- right. I think we should like move forward to uh, how how uh, socialism in America. And the future of socialism in America, and what we really think about socialism when it comes to the 2020 race and a little in the future. Right, yeah, yeah. Because socialism is picking up. I mean, a recent poll amongst millennials proved that some 40% of them supported it, but uh, um, most of them don't really understand its true ramifications. And when they describe what they want, it's actually a free market capitalist society because a lot of yeah. the problems that people have with capitalism is cronyism. And I completely agree. I think cronyism is terrible. But cronyism is inherently more socialistic. It requires more government interference. It requires more taxation. Cronyism is, is a means of, it's basically a more socialistic form of capitalism. And a lot of people have a problem with that. And I agree, there is a problem with that. And there's a problem with that in America as well. How do you solve it? Not by making the country more socialist, but by making it a bit more free. So I think the thing is people overlook is the great bounty of products they have in America, which is which they are really extremely privileged in because I would say we don't even have the same amount of products in India. And I'm talking about indigenous products here. I think America has one of the greatest indigenous products. And I think a lot of uh, an, uh, an exceptional point that is overlooked by socialists uh, talking about Medicare. And this again comes into reference with the bounty of products and the laziness of people is the fact that despite these Scandinavian countries giving people free or almost free Medicare, all the drugs that go there are produced by America. I mean, America is the hub of the production of drugs. And I right. think the fact is that this is because of so this is because of capitalism. Capitalism actually provides companies with incentive to create new drugs because then they have the right to patent it and they have the right to produce uh, the drug. Right. Yeah, and, and, and then the, the clients also have the right to choose their doctors. They have the right yeah. to choose which health care they, they want, really. Uh, there's no individual or free choice when there's, quote-unquote, free health care, which is really not free because of the high tax rates that it yeah. requires. But um, that's the thing, right? Because Medicare really works its best when there's competition because peop- to be their competitors and to get more customers, uh, Medicare companies will just continue to make better products. This is how our society develops. This is how it's always developed, not only in regards to the Medicare field, but in regards to any field, really. Yeah, so I think I think if you actually convert to a socialist economy today, what's going to happen is you're going to end up with people like Jim Taggart, again, from the Adler, book Atlas. While they do like social institutions and they, while they do have the hope of the people ahead, they don't have the ability to drive, the, drive, a, drive a company the way uh, others do. And I think if you do actually convert to socialism, you'll have people with people with the interests of the people, but the inability to actually do anything. And I think this just drives more companies into the ground, which are promising today. Oh, and trust me, uh, Jim Taggart, <laughs> um, he may seem a bit innocent now, but later you'll realize that he is nowhere. He doesn't have the interest of the people at all. And he's he, he's one of the worst characters in the book. Towards the end of the book, you're, you're going to absolutely despise him. Yeah, sure, but uh, but I think I think uh, I think today socialism the more the bigger problem is socialism is it's being rebranded as democratic socialism, and yeah. uh, I don't really think this is I don't think really I fail to distinguish between democratic socialism and socialism. So Anish, uh, can you 
explain to us what right, democratic yeah. socialism is and the difference if there is it here yeah i mean to be honest the foundational ideology there isn't much difference it's just a way to brand it to make it sound better and f- for more people to vote for it basically what it is is you know how in socialism um the government takes away products from producers and gives it to non-producers yes. basically democratic socialism means they do the same thing but they have the support of the people behind them and the people who are having their products taken away from them since they aren't a majority they are are hurt and they can't really say anything because the majority are people who are less fortunate and they will go for their opportunity to get quote unquote free stuff when in the end it's going to lead to suffering of everyone and that's the thing right because it's basically just voting for the same thing the only difference is as voting and it's not a totalitarian dictatorship but once those people are put into power it will become very much like an authoritarian totalitarian dictatorship because socialism can't function without that government there which takes takes the products takes the money and transfers it there can there can socialism can't function without a big government which interferes in people's lives because the idea there's collectivism uh, everybody must think the same way that's another reason why it can't function without a big government because the government forces everybody to think the same way in an extreme example they kill off people who think differently democratic socialism in essence in its ideology is pretty much the same as socialism it's just a way to make it seem that it's actually better but it it really isn't and why do you think people are falling for it today i, I think it's just ignorance and uh, inability to understand what's happened in the past and actually read a book uh right. but what do you think why do you think today's generation or today's uh, youth is falling for democratic socialism being different than socialism right like i said i mean the reason there's appeal is because people do not understand the true nature of socialism. Socialism has this means of uh, appealing in a way that it seems that it's it's helpful, right? Oh, everybody gets an equal share of everything. If you think about the implications of that, it's immoral in its first in the first place. But when people hear that, they're like, okay, I don't have to work. I get money. Everybody lives happily. Everybody lives lives with uh, with uh, with wealth, which is not true. People yeah. won't live happily because they won't have production. Production is a means that satisfies you when you earn something you're more satisfied than when you just get it without earning it but anyway back to the main point they they see this they see this easy out a way to evade their responsibilities and they just flock to it because humans like if they have an opportunity to evade responsibility while there are several strong people who still own up to their responsibility there are many people who will go for their first opportunity to take an easy out I I really applaud Ocasio Cortez and the way she how she's marketed herself, but I still think she's flawed, and I think she's just one interview away with the Ben Shapiro or Tucker Carlson from being, uh, from being broken open, and I think that and that's why she's avoiding it. Yeah, we we saw that she she uh, accused Ben of catcalling. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? I mean, she's. Clearly, she said that Republicans are scared to debate her, but clearly she's absolutely terrified because Ben is a very knowledgeable person, even if he has different views to her. And she's scared that if she does go there, her career could ultimately possibly even be destroyed. She would still have backers, but she wouldn't have the influence that she does at yeah. the moment because she's supported by the media. And she really hasn't had a discussion with a Republican to show that, you know, her ideas can be challenged and her ideas can be debunked. Yeah, I think the catcalling was a great was a good was a good diversion uh, diversionary tactic 
though it didn't really work out within uh, most of the Democrats and Republicans, while her while her followers sucked it up. Uh, I think I think one of our posts yesterday was about this, and I think uh, people should go check it out if they have it. Uh, right. But but again, I think the fact that uh, she she swung it over to Ben over she swung the responsibility over to Ben, meaning that she changed the she changed the thread from being about her to over about being about Ben uh, harassing her. I think that's right. just, that just shows uh, her ability to debate and her, her ability to actually have anything questioned, because she she failed in she failed in friendly interviews or friendly uh, TV shows that she was on to friendly to her, like Good Morning America, right. where uh, she was just asked about some routine stuff which wasn't even about politics, and the right. most probing question was. How do you plan on paying for uh, X? Uh, how do you plan on paying for Medicare? And I think right. she said was, she simply said, oh, I think the Scandinavians have done it. So why can't we? I mean, that's a stupid <laughs> argument because, again, the Scandinavians have a certain history or certain country that's not exactly the same as the, Amer- as the United States of America. And I think right. her, her, her ignorance of this really just demonstrates how short-lived she could be if she actually faces a good interviewer. But again, right. what do you think of when people say, uh, if they have paid for it, why can't we? About uh, the Scandinavian? Yeah, Scandinavian countries in reference to Medicare. Right, yeah. I mean, if America, the hub of competition, the hub of developed products, most of our products that we're using today, on my table, almost everything is American. Uh, do we really want to sacrifice that just to, quote unquote, have free healthcare? It's not going to be free. It's going to cost everyone a lot more, and uh, yeah, it's it's quite ridiculous. But anyway, I think that we should uh, start. Um, we'll talk about individualism and collectivism shortly, and we should begin to wrap up this podcast. Sure. Uh, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, yeah. So I talk about this, like I said, in Publitarian podcasts. If you haven't heard that, go listen to it. It it was a great conversation. He's a great guy. You, you should uh, follow him at Publitarian on Instagram. But anyway, what our discussion was based around was the the philosophy behind the left and the right wing. And I said that the main ideology of the left is collectivism, and the main ideology of the right is individualism. So individualism is having the right to your mind, keeping what you earn, and basically trade, participating in mutually beneficial transactions. Yes, there are several individualists on the left as well, but capitalism and individualism to the to a more free market is a right-wing ideology. And left-wingers who do agree with that might not have much place on the left anymore because the left has gone away from liberal values, which were actually very good because the liberal values are what made the new right-wing. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that. But liberal, the liberal movement is completely different, so don't mistake it for that. But... Um, Collectivism, on the other hand, it's it's this sort of groupthink. It's a sort of way of prioritizing an entire collective over the individual. So the individual doesn't get rights. The individual can't think for themselves. They must participate in a groupthink. Everybody must think in the same way. The individual is neglected, so their rights are neglected, as I said. And it is made sure that each individual neglects their mind and forsakes his their reason to follow everything that they are told and to serve the government. And that's the problem with socialism because that's the main ideology that drives socialism, collectivism. 
And this is something I will talk about in detail in my book. And I also talked about in more detail in the podcast. So like I said, once again, go check it out if you haven't already. And yeah, so what are your thoughts on individualism and collectivism, Kunal? I actually believe in individualism. I think uh, individuals' rights or an individuals' interests should be put ahead of social, uh, a society's interests. But I think sometimes this can, I think... Right, because if you, if you, yeah. put, if you put an individual, the individual's interest above... Uh, the collective's interest, the, the society and the collective is going to develop. It's going to develop more than it ever would. So, quote-unquote, putting their, the society's interest uh, first is not really putting society's interest first. It's really just about uh, neglecting the individual's rights. Yeah, so I think the fact that today we're actually overlooking an individual's right in, a, in an economy is uh, crazy, especially since that's what's actually built most of the modern world. Uh, I think only about four or five countries or little more, uh, I don't want to be ignorant, in the past have actually been socialist economies and actually have actually fallen apart. Yet we, yet today we still stray away from an individual's interest. But I think there has to be some level of control to where an individual's interests, at what point they actually triumph a government's interest. Because I think... If we overlook individuals, the interests of an individual too much, or if we allow individuals to have uh, protect themselves too much, I think this can lead to uh, actions that are not in the interest of the people. And I do believe that to some extent, this can be harmful to uh, the people as a whole, because uh, companies today will do anything to save money, right? To increase their to increase their margins, uh, to decrease their margins and increase their profits. Yet I think that while this is totally fine because a company has any right to produce what it feels and the people actually due to uh, social due to due to capitalism actually have uh, alternate products in the market yet i believe that people should s- still think about what they are uh, i still think that the government should intervene when companies actually do infringe on the uh, actually do step on uh, the environment or uh, do things uh, that actually affect the environment because I think the environment needs to be protected. So I think while individualism is extremely important, there has to be a balance. And I think that we as a government or we as the people need to actually reevaluate our balance to what we think it is. Right. So um, I actually disagree with you partly on that. Yes, there needs to be government and the government has the job to protect man's rights. And for that, there needs to be a government for sure. Because when people, people, and companies start infringing on people's rights, then the government has to do something about it because they have the job of protecting rights. Once they become too big, they begin infringing upon them. But what you said about the environment, yes, the environment is important, but we have to not, like if we force companies, if we input regulations, what it's going to do, first of all, is it's going to cause a disruption in the market. And second of all, what it's going to do is these companies might not thoroughly follow it. If you let the market develop and then eventually the market, when it develops, corporations realize that more environmentally friendly products, because they use less resources, are going to help them uh, maximize their profit, then the market itself will start moving towards it. And when that happens, all people start moving towards it. And that's how you revolutionize the way people live. The government can't really do much in that sense. They can't make people live a certain way. If they do... It, it's not always effective and it can cause a lot of trouble but yeah so i understand anyway, where um from. i yeah I, I i i understand but um like i said i think we need to wrap up the podcast now sure uh yeah it was it was great uh, talking to you 
I think this yeah. was a good episode. Uh, this is and, a great episode. Yep. This has been your Thank host, Anish Satpute, and I have here with me Kunal Satpute, who helped me co-host. Thank you, everyone. This has been a great podcast, and we'll see you next week with more fresh topics. And that will do it for us at the Sign of the Dollar podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time.